Luke 24, 1 through 12. Now on the first day of the week, at daybreak, the women came to the tomb carrying the spices they had prepared. They found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Yeshua. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you search for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember what he told you when he was still in the Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be executed. And on the third day, rise up. And they were reminded of his words. And when they returned from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to everyone else. Now it was Miriam from Magdala, Joanna, the Miriam of Jacob, and others together with them, who were telling these things to the emissaries. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, leaning in. He sees only the linen cloths, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. They got up early on the first day of the week. What's the first day of the week? Oh, it's not Sunday. The day starts in the evening, right? We start our day with rest, unless you work the night shift. But um, there was evening and morning day one, so Saturday night, after the Shabbat, right? Then the first day of the week. So I'm not going to chip on my shoulder about this, but just FYI. The believers met on the first day of the week. It started Saturday night, you know, right? That's the first day of the week. If we want to get into that, that wasn't the new Sabbath, but it was the first day of the week. That's not in my notes. So anyways, yeah, so they... Shabbat happened, they went to sleep, got rested, and woke up early after the first day had already started. Anyways, <laughs> Yom HaTechiyah, as Chaim says, actually, uh, I will make you say it, how about that? Yom HaTechiyah, Yom HaTechiyah, Yom HaTechiyah, the day of the resurrection. Um, you may have heard it a few times from some folks this past week maybe uh i'll put you know christian folks let's say in quotation marks may have said he is risen i got a text message from somebody that said that this week you see that a lot um and i think you see that because we see that phrase uh used that is a true phrase and we see that phrase um in several of the gospel accounts right um but this resurrection business it's just a christian idea right no no I feel want you come up and finish the uh, thought there. <laughs> you can use it. I'm sure you could, actually. But perhaps, no, perhaps yes. Um, I think the resurrection of Yeshua specifically um, is very unique to, to Christianity or what, uh, what we could also call, I think, first century Judaism. Uh, resurrection itself is um, itself is a very Jewish idea, right? It's a very Jewish, uh, very, very Jewish idea. Um, just a couple of scriptures for you, um, and there's a, there's a lot, actually. Uh, 1 Samuel 2, verse 6, this is uh, Hannah, her prayer. So she's kind of talking, I think, dually about the life that was brought forth in her son, as well as in general, I think we can see it. She says, Adonai causes death and it makes alive. That part probably talking about the birth of her son, but she also says that he also brings down to Sheol and he raises up. Many of us are probably familiar with the book of Job uh, in chapter 19. And this, this, uh, you may, have, may not realize it's from there, but this, this scripture you may recognize. It says, yet I know that my Redeemer lives. Amen. This is in the book of Job. And in the end, he will stand on the earth. Even after my skin has been destroyed, 
This is not from old age. This is from actual death. Uh, Yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not a stranger. I and not a stranger. So the picture of resurrection there as well. You read the Psalms. The Psalms continually speak of the Lord as the one who revives. He is the reviver now, but he's the reviver of the dead, the one who gives life, the one who restores the soul. We see that over and over. If you know anything about the, uh, the Jewish prayer book, the Siddur, the standard Siddur, the standard prayers, the Shemona Esrei, the, the 18 benedictions. Um, the second benediction, actually, is called El Gibor. It talks about God's might. It says that you are mighty eternally, O Lord. You are the reviver of the dead. You are abundantly able to save the one who sustains the living with kindness, who revives the dead with abundant mercy, who supports the fallen, who heals the sick, who releases the confined, and who maintains his faith to those asleep in the dust. Who is like you, O master of mighty deeds, and who is comparable to you, O king, who causes death and restores life and makes salvation sprout? I read that uh, this week in, in in pretty much any standard Siddur, but I read it in the Art Scroll Siddur, which is like sort of the, the standard Siddur, uh, very traditional uh, Jewish Siddur. And there's commentary in there, it's really good commentary, and in there it talks about, this is all in the, the section of the, uh, the passages and things that are talked about at funeral services and, and at times of, of death and mourning. And it says there that God judges righteously, and that this understanding... This is in one of the Hebrew that talked about he's the, the din emet, the, the, the judge of righteousness. It says that this understanding of that provides the ultimate consolation that the souls of the departed live on in a better place and will return to reborn bodies after the final redemption when the dead are revived. This is from the art scroll Siddur. This is not from some New Testament Christian commentary I, I took this from. Um, so resurrection is not a foreign idea to Judaism, okay? Um, but again, I will say that the resurrection of Yeshua and what we are recognizing today is certainly a foreign idea, certainly to traditional, traditional Ju- Judaism for sure. But that being said, the resurrection of Yeshua, however, is foundational. It is foundational to all believers in Yeshua. It is and it must be more than just an annual catchphrase of he's risen, texted or whatever it is. It's got to be more than that. It's part, actually, of what I see as the larger biblical story of, of salvation and the preservation of the Jewish people that leads to Yeshua's life itself and the very existence of the Jewish people today. It's all, again, foundational to the resurrection of Yeshua. We just rehearsed, and that's a bigger picture, but that's, it's actually a bigger picture of what we even rehearsed as part of our uh, Passover Seder this past Sunday, right? It wasn't a, that was a, a, a moment in time, but it's part of a much bigger picture, a picture in that case of, of bondage, you know, bondage to slavery in that case, and then, and then uh, rescue from slavery, and then celebration, right? And we can see a parallel uh, with Yeshua. We've got bondage to sin, we've got rescue through his atonement, and then celebration of our current life in him, which I'll talk about as well, which is something that's often overlooked, and then his future coming, of course, okay? And we are now in, uh, in, in the calendar, we're in this kind of in-between time uh, of counting the Omer. Some of you may be completely unfamiliar with what that is. Um, this is the time between first fruits, okay, also pictured in the idea of Yeshua's resurrection, it talks about him being our first fruits, and the 
if you don't know what first fruits is, and you don't know about Bikurim and the counting of the Omer, you may just think, yeah, Yeshua's our first fruits, and then miss what we're talking about there, what Paul's talking about. But that's uh, the time between first fruits and then the coming of the Torah at Sinai, which we'll, we recognize as Shavuot, but also the idea of maybe the giving of the Spirit as well. Um, we, we'll probably talk more about all of those ideas, the Omer time and the in-between time uh, in the coming weeks, maybe even next week some as well, and then we'll talk about Shavuot after that. But in terms of the resurrection of Yeshua, it, it serves as one of two bookends to our faith, really. Okay, Two bookends. He's returning, yes. We can talk about that, but in order for that to be important, we must, he must have first risen. Okay, there must have been a down payment, that offering of first fruits, for there to then be a return. And without that, without that understanding, I think uh, that, that that's kind of necessary, you know, bookends there. We can find ourselves, I think, in the same place as the characters in our story today, looking for the living among the dead. Or in a slightly different way, uh, I phrased it in, in our title today, is that we can end up looking for life in all the wrong places. If you're old enough, you might recognize the similarity to a certain song. Um, but the lyrics didn't really work too much. I looked at it. They're really not lyrics you want to talk about in, uh, in service. So, but looking for life in all the wrong places, you know. And what can that be? Well, I, I want to, you know, I'm talking about other stuff as well. I just like that title. But uh, the, um, in terms of what that could be, what could that look like, looking for life in all the wrong places? That can be just looking for life in just the physical world around us, okay, only. Like that's, that's where we're looking for life. Or, or just in the here and now, whatever's happening to you in your life in the here and now. Um, some people look for life and meaning in, in the past, you know. Um, in, in the past, maybe it's relatives or, or things, you know, back when I was in the military, I did the, whatever, the, your glory days of football, whatever it might have been. Um, or you might look just for the future. You're looking for life just in the future. You know, when, when this happens, when that happens, when all these kind of things fall in place. You know, maybe you're looking either, so you're looking just in the physical world, in the present, or the past, or the future. But I want to say that really looking for life, none of those things are, are bad. It's really the fact is that it needs to be uh, all of those things, quite frankly, all of those things together. Um, describing the days of, of one's death in the book of Ecclesiastes, the text says there in chapter 12, says, so remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of misery come. <laughs> and years drawn, <laughs> and ye I know, Ecclesiastes is very encouraging. Um, when the days of misery come, and years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And then it says, then the dust returns to the ground it came from. And there are many who mentally kind of end things right there, thinking, you know what? You know, you, you live, you, you, um, that's the end of everything, right? You live, you die, and then that's it. But, you know, that, that's a comforting thought in some cases. Some people say, well, I just die, and that's kind, that's kind of it. Um, that's the end of everything. But the writer of Ecclesiastes continues after that. He says, then the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Um, you could also translate that, uh, I think, unless I'll get a, a tomato from over here as a disjunctive, as a but, you know. They could also be but, but the spirit, you know. The dust returns around, but the spirit returns to, to the God who gave it, to God who gave it. In other words, again, there is life after death. And this is from Ecclesiastes. There is resurrection uh, in a different body. And as Paul said in some of our reading today, in a changed body, you know, and we can talk about what does that mean? How does it, what exactly is it going to be like? What type of body? And, 
you know, we can, we can uh, look at all of the details and debate about that. The upshot is, is that we do have a model, I think, in the resurrection of Yeshua. Uh, and again, it's the foundation of our faith today. I don't want to get into the details of, can I walk through walls like Yeshua did? But he also ate, and, you know, what weight will I be? I think Jim was telling me, you're going to see me at, uh, you know, 180 pounds or whatever. <laughs> it's all relative. If I was 180 pounds, my goodness. <laughs> Anyways, but not only is, is the, uh, you know, Yeshua's example of the resurrection foundational to our faith, um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, which again we also read some from today, that if the resurrection of Yeshua did not happen, we are living lives of absolute futility and hopelessness. Let's not overlook this. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13 and following say, Now if Messiah is proclaimed, in other words, he is, it is said that he has been raised from the dead, how can some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There was a debate there. We see that in the Gospels as well. Some believed in the resurrection. Some didn't believe in a resurrection. And Paul goes on to say, And if Messiah has not been raised, then our proclaiming is meaningless, and your faith also is meaningless. And if Messiah has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If we have hoped in Messiah in this life alone, right, looking for life in that one place, we are to be pitied more than all people. It's pretty, as Chaim would say, grim. That's pretty, you know, grim language there. So a whole lot is at stake with this resurrection business, which, again, I've said is a very Jewish thing, and it's supported by Scripture, both Tanakh as well as, obviously, the, the, the New Testament writings. But there's a lot at stake here. Paul begins that chapter of, of, of uh, Corinthians, actually, by making clear that this reality, the gospel, that message that he gave, must include the resurrection of Yeshua. He says this is the gospel. All of this news is the gospel that you received. This is the gospel in which you currently stand, and you ongoingly stand, and the gospel by which you are being saved. He says this has to do with more than just, you know, this is more than just a one-time salvation event, but with overall wholeness and wellness, this idea that you are being saved, this sozo, this, this idea deals with our physical, our mental, our spiritual well-being. And again, during this in-between time, this waiting for Yeshua's return time, this time that's, I think, symbolized also by, you know, this time of, of Omer right now as well, between uh, first fruits and harvest, Passover and Shavuot. So it's very critical. But, you know, back down to earth just for a second. In our text today, in the parallel text that you, you can read uh, in the other Gospels that are parallel to this, the disciples, quite frankly, were just as, you know, unprepared for the resurrection as I think we would be, if we're frank about it. I think we might be just as prepared for Yeshua to walk through that door back there uh, or stand in our midst right now as they were when they went to the tomb. In other words, no matter what we say, he is risen indeed and he's coming back. The fact is they heard that three times at least in the gospel accounts. I mean, those are the recorded times. And the, they were not prepared for what they found when they went to the tomb, what, what Hillary read. They were not expecting to find the tomb empty. They were going with spices. They weren't just going to burn a little potpourri. I mean, they had, plans for the, they had plans for the spices. They were expecting to find a dead body. They were resigned to that fact. Absolutely. And in like manner, I think for us, you know, death is seen as the end of the road. When, when we hear about death, it can be, it can be sad. But it certainly eliminates all thought about what the life of, let's say, that person, what their impact is anymore. I mean, I thought, I thought about this, was it last week or the week before, when 
the schools were closed, you know, for this, this, this girl from Florida that came here and she was, you know, the shooter and so forth. And it, well, we were closing schools, we're sending out AP, all this stuff. Then when she dies, okay, back to school. There's no threat anymore. I mean, she's dead. That kind of brings to close that there's no more, once, once death happens, that's it. Like, there's no, no ongoing impact, right? Not a second thought, that, at least in that case, that we're in danger from that person or whatever. And the same, I think, with the thought that Yeshua died. Like, that's it. Let's go anoint the body, regardless of what, what they knew. But again, the life, and just as, just as importantly, or even more importantly, the resurrection of Yeshua is a majorly different thing. Because there is a lasting impact and influence from his, not just his life and death, but his resurrection. Let's not forget that. It's not just, oh, he lived, in, but there is a lasting impact that is unlike anyone else in human history. You've got to deal with that. You've got to consider that. I mean, there are millions of followers of Yeshua today. There have been millions of followers prior. Um, and it's not because people created something out of nothing, you know, uh, that believers uh, throughout history, um, churches, messianic synagogues, seminaries, etc., they were created out of the fact of the resurrection. It wasn't the other way around, if you know what I mean. It's not that, you know, believers did not create the resurrection story, which is one of the thoughts, right? The resurrection fact created believers and disciples and followers of Yeshua, if that makes sense. The resurrection made them. So for us, there, again, there's not a lot different, I think, in our modern times versus the setting of what was read today, if you kind of put yourself in that situation. You know, there are still questions nowadays. Even the disciples were confused. Yeshua had told them, again, like I said, multiple times, but even when he told them, we read those accounts where he told them what's going to happen, he got the look of, you know, like I told Floyd yesterday, I said he was staring at something in the office. I said, you look like, look like a cow looking at a new fence, you know? He just wasn't here before, you know. So, uh, so there's not much difference. You know, we get those kind of those questions. And how much more will we get confused looks from people today, from ourselves even, when we really consider, when we talk about this whole picture? God became a man, put to death, and then rose from the dead. Will we get, you know, cow staring at new fence looks from ourselves in the mirror sometimes, if you think about it? But we need to be patient, though. We need to be patient with ourselves. We need to be patient with others, understanding that just as Yeshua had to do a little bit of explaining at that time, if you were to read on past what was read today, uh, he had to do a little bit um, of convincing about the reality of his resurrection. You know, check it out. Put your finger here. Give me you know, this kind of stuff. Uh, the same goes for us today. There is a process, I think, and it's normal. Just like the first believers, you see them, they went through a process. They were obviously skeptical. Then they checked things out, right? They did check things out. Um, then they had, some of them had a personal encounter. Hundreds of people, 400 or so people had a personal encounter or experience with Yeshua. Then they became true followers. There, there is a process. You know, the Spirit of God has to work in people's lives. Um, you can't you can't do that. You can't speed that up. You can't, you can't do any of that kind of stuff. You simply have to stay the course yourself, recognize that maybe you're in the process and engage, you know, with whatever part of that process you're in. But nonetheless, I think many people today still consider Yeshua as being among the dead and therefore inconsequential, really, to their life. I mean, other than maybe we regard him, uh, he's a good teacher, he's a, definitely a world leader, a prophet, and all these kind of things. Someone maybe even worthy of emulation. Right? And study, for sure. Many people have done that. You know some, some names, if I threw them out, you know people that have even said that about Yeshua. In all respects, maybe they would say he's one of the greatest people that ever lived. But, let me draw the line, but then he died. 
Okay? And then that's it. But the truth is he's more than that. It's more than that. Because we have evidence that he lived. We have biblical and non-biblical evidence. And the fact of the Bible being, being evidence, you know, it's legitimate evidence, by the way. People say, oh, if that's something that crazy is, you know, people coming out of their graves and wandering around the city uh, is, uh, happened, you'd have seen that written somewhere. We have. We did see that written somewhere. It's in, it's in the Bible. And so let's not dis, you know, dismiss the Bible as a historical book. But there are other books. Josephus, the historian, has, has records of these things. There's other records of these things. Um, so we have that evidence. We know about Roman crucifixion, for example. We know that it's, uh, it, was, it was effective. It was a real thing. It wasn't made up. Uh, so, and they were good at it. Uh, and the fact is that the idea that maybe Yeshua just kind of fainted on the cross, as they say, and then, then you know, came, up, came, came, came to in the, that grave with the big stone and then rolled it and then kind of went about his business, that, that's pretty, pretty unlikely. He, he was dead. They knew how to do it. They knew what they were doing. Um, the, uh, again, the, the biblical record, one of the strongest biblical records, um, when you look at it from a critical standpoint, it's very reliable in the sense of it doesn't paint a flowery picture. Even what was read here today, you got the, the main characters of this story. First of all, they're women, and, and I don't have a problem with it, but the point is that at that time, they weren't the most reliable witnesses, right, in terms of somebody, oh, these women saw, oh, the women saw them. You know, that, but the point is that's what's recorded. And then even them and the followers after them, they don't look too flattering. They also say, when, you know, we saw him, oh, you're crazy, you know. The point is, you wouldn't say your heroes would, your heroes would say, well, yes, we know, he told us, and we are, you know. So these are probably reliable accounts. The body was never found, you know, still has never been found. That's a big deal. These are things you know, that I think are just at the, the tip of the iceberg in terms of evidence. But again, they're worth looking into. If you have questions, there are lots of books out there that are just factual, kind of, let's look at the facts. I would recommend... Uh, there's the case for Christ, let's say, by uh, Lee Strobel, the case for the resurrection. If you want to look in the details of the... Because I'd never thought about this before becoming a follower of Yeshua. I never thought about it. I just assumed that's for Christians, I'm a Jew, and so forth. But I never looked into the facts. I didn't look, well, here's the reasons I don't think, you know, the resurrection happened or Yeshua lived. I never looked at the facts. There are facts out there, you know. So it's important to consider that because I don't want us to ignore the fact that sometimes this is somewhat of a crazy story. It's a bit of a crazy story, you know. But if we get it, if we get it, not by brainwashing ourselves, but by some logical research, and then also by being enlightened by the Holy Spirit, by being enlightened by the Lord, I think it does a couple of very important things for us. Um, one thing is it becomes the power source for us for our living in the here and now. I mentioned that before. Again, this can often be minimized in light of Yeshua's second coming. He's coming again, but I'm just going to hang on till then. No, there's a, there's a certain amount of power that you get under, by understanding uh, the resurrection and by being a part of, of, of that, that faith that uh, helps you for, the, for waiting for that day, you know. Uh, it's not just your whole faith then becomes caricaturized by, this guy's miserable and he's waiting for the day, you know, that Yeshua's coming. That's, that's a caricature of faith and that's not what, what our faith life is supposed to be. Um, it also, understanding this becomes a, what I would call a trump card for our belief. Okay, and what do I mean by that? Well, I've been in discussions with people before not, not, well, some debates, not heavy debates, but a couple Jewish people, in fact, I can think of a couple Jewish friends. Um, some even, both of them I'm thinking of have very high regard for Scripture. And they would ask me all kinds of questions, you know. Well, where does it say, show me in the Bible, show me in, in the Hebrew Bible, only, of course, where, where it says we're supposed to believe, you know. We're, believe, you know, just believe kind of thing. Where does it say that? Or where does it talk about human sacrifice being an acceptable thing? You're talking about the sacrifice of Yeshua and atonement. Where does it say in the, in the, in the Torah, the Tanakh, any of the writings, you know, that kind of thing. And, and moreover, how can, how can uh, a man become God, right? 
And so I get these questions and I, I answer some of these questions. Uh, you know, I show where, okay, well, man didn't become God, God became man. And here's examples in the Tanakh where we see God as a man. Uh, so it's pretty, you know, pretty evident there. Um, and they come back, well, that's in, you showed me that in the prophets. I want to see it in the Torah, you know. Okay, but even if, you know, even if Yeshua was the Messiah, where does it say to worship him? And, and the New Testament says he's God, but, you know, I see that's only in one gospel. How about all four gospels? All of a sudden, you know, it's on and on and on, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. There's a book um, I read many years ago um, that I recommend if you'd, if you'd like to read it. It's, I can't remember when it was written, uh, maybe the 80s, I'm not sure, uh, by a guy named Og Mandino. Have you ever heard of his name before? What a book called The, the Christ Commission. Um, so who's read that book, anybody? One person? Okay. So, uh, I mean, we know it's, it's based on the Bible, so the spoiler I'm going to give you is, you know, it's, it's, we all know the answer, so don't worry. But uh, in this book, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a fiction book in a sense, but also nonfiction, I believe. But it's, uh, it's about this mystery writer, a guy that writes mystery stories, detective stories, and he's one of the greatest in the world, and he goes on the Johnny Carson show. So it's not super modern, but for some of us, that's modern. That's the late, that's the, uh, the Tonight Show, or the Late Show, I don't know what it is now. Um, is, that, is that Fallon's show, same one? Um, so yeah, thank you, Michael. You're so young guy over there. But uh, so he goes on Johnny Carson's show, and he's talking. He's a real famous writer, and Carson asks him, "Hey, is there any projects you'd love to love to write that you haven't written yet, or something like that?" And the guy says, "Well, there was a book that I that I was going to write, and and I thought, you know, if I could write a, a book about a detective that goes back into ancient biblical biblical uh, Jerusalem, and, it, and he could." investigate, you know, after the resurrection, you know, within a couple of years, maybe five, six years after the resurrection, I could look at all the facts of that story and kind of, you know, look at that as a, as a detective, you know, looking at that and figuring out what happened. And they said, wow, that's, that's fascinating. And so what, you never wrote the book? Why didn't you write the book? And he said, well, kind of hesitated. He said, um, as I looked into the details, I kind of determined that, you know what, I probably wouldn't be too popular because my, my conclusion was that it was a hoax. It didn't really happen, you know. And so, uh, in the, in the book, they, you know, they, they kind of go to commercial, and uh, later on, that guy's at his hotel room. <laughs> that guy's at his hotel room. Well, not his hotel, he's at the hotel he's staying at when he was in there doing the, taping the show, and he goes down to the bar that night, and they're playing the show later that night. And uh, in the bar, he gets recognized. And this guy comes up to him and says, hey, you the guy on the TV that just said all of us that believe in, in Jesus are, are, are fools and misled? And he's trying to explain himself, and before he knows it, bang, you know, the guy... Guy knocks him out, and then in the story, he wakes up. Guess where? He wakes up in ancient Jerusalem. He gets to do his thing. He gets to go through and interview. The, it's very, the guy puts you, Mandina puts you in that place, and the, and the, the, the tension and stuff that, that Yeshua probably felt when he walked into the temple and so forth. And, you know, we read about it in a book, but he really puts you there, you know. And uh, he gets to interview everybody. And at one point, he interviews James, the brother of, of Yeshua, interviews him once, and then interviews him later, and later on he's talking to him, and he says, you know, because James is telling him how things were, you know, growing up, and, and kind of how things went with Yeshua, and how, you know, how embarrassing it was for the family, you know, he got thrown out of the synagogue, and they wanted to kill him, and all this kind of stuff, and this is the James that at this point is sort of leading believers here, you know, and so this interviewer starts asking him, he says, you know, did you ever see your brother bring anyone back from the dead? see him cure blindness? Do you see him do anything kind of miraculous, cure any diseases, or do anything that you would consider a miracle that's contrary to the laws of nature? Nope. Did you ever hear him claim to be the Messiah? Nope. Did you ever hear him claim to be the Son of God? Nope. You weren't with him during that week in Jerusalem prior to his execution? Nope. Question after question like that, you know, did you see this? Did you see that? No, 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 no. 
He said, yet even now, followers of your brother are multiplying in great numbers. And now, he said, you, six years after his death, you're recognized as one of the leaders of his followers. Why? Why are you who did not believe, not willing to risk the same death that he suffered, you know? Why, does this, you know, you're risking persecution, you're kind of living in, in hiding in a sense, always at the risk of, of being arrested and he was around, all this kind of stuff. He said, was it just blind faith, you know? If it, if, it, if it wasn't faith, he said, James, what was it? What caused you to live a life of abuse, humiliation, aggravation, prison cells, etc.? And James said, and again, this is the spoiler, but you kind of know how it goes. <laughs> he says, I'll tell you. And if you write it, you're going to face some of the same head shaking, because he told me he's writing, writing something. So you're going to face some, some head, head shaking, ridicule, and persecution that I have all these years. He said, but one night I heard this voice. And then I saw him. And we broke bread. I looked at his hands, and I saw the stuff in his hands, you know, his feet. And that's what I mean by the trump card, you know. I think we can deliberate and argue about all kinds of theological questions and this doesn't make sense to me and how could this be and so forth all day long. But in the end, everything hinges on the resurrection. All doubts, disputes, debates dissipate in the face of a risen Messiah. When Yeshua walks in the room, I think the guys I'm arguing with, whoever, it's like, okay, that's the trump card, that's the ace. I think all the arguments disappear. Nothing else needs to be said. So, as we remember the resurrection today, let's remember that it's our trump card. It's a foundation of our faith that gives us a solid hope for the future, but also the power to live today, live for him today. And again, this is worthy of, of, of checking out. So, you know, if you're here today, you aren't sure about this whole thing, this whole Yeshua came and died and rose again, maybe you're somewhere in that process I mentioned. You know, I want you to, to maybe ask God that he would show you whether or not it's true, you know? Are there, you know, are, are those of us who have, or who do believe, deluded, you know? These are questions I had to ask myself. You know, are millions of believers, are millions of, are, are there congregations and seminaries, you know, drive down to Denver Seminary, look at that building and say, are these people deluded with this building with these 60,000 books in here about all this stuff? Are they simply confused or misled? Or did something really happen? Namely, Yeshua, according to God's plan of salvation, came, lived, died, and rose again. Are all of the people around the world that have believed that and currently do believe that missing something, or are you? And I say I want you to ask God for the answer. The scripture tells us, you ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, you knock and the door shall be opened to you. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the atoning sacrifice that you provided and gave of yourself on our behalf, Lord. And more importantly, we thank you that it was not the end of the story and that you rose again and you live today. And by that, you provide the power for us to live today and forever. And Lord, I know sometimes that sounds crazy to us. And so I ask that you make the reality of your resurrection front and center for each person here today. I pray, Lord, that if anyone is struggling with accepting this most amazing miracle and foundation of our faith, that today, Lord, they, they, they wouldn't be convinced, uh, you know, by some book necessarily, but that, that today would be the day they would come to you humbly 
and that you would open their heart and their minds to this reality. It's in Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.